It's on now. We definitely heard that. So it says, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. God is pleased with a faith that sees him, acknowledges him, aware of his presence, and knows what type of character that he has. That God is the one who rewards those who diligently seek him. So um, the prayer is kind of an exercise in our faith as we acknowledge that God is there and we're acknowledging that we need him. We acknowledge that he responds to us and that he rewards um, those who are in relationship with him who diligently seek him. So as we pray tonight, uh, we're, keeping, we're keeping that in mind, that God is one who, who both punishes sin and uh, rewards or responds to those who come to him in faith. He responds by forgiving their sins. He responds by uh, giving them eternal life, bringing them into relationship with him and all the benefits that come with that. Um, I don't know what's heavy on your heart tonight. I don't know if there's anything special on your heart. I do know some of our needs that we have here um, in believers here, in the ministry here, uh, and that we are always just asking you to, to bring this ministry and bring each other together before God in prayer to be that intercessor, to be the one that stands uh, uh, for us before God. We, we thank you for doing that. We, we acknowledge as a ministry that uh, we can't do anything that pleases God um, without that power behind, without his power behind us. And we come to his power by prayer, asking him to work on, on our behalf. Um, so I want to encourage you, you come here tonight for, for prayer. Um, to, to, to be encouraged that what you do in prayer, in your faithful work in prayer, is something that God blesses. It's something that he uses, something that, that he rewards. Um, because it's an act of faith in him. It's an act of reliance on him, acknowledging that we need him. So let's remember that then as, as we come and as we come together in prayer. I'm going to be short today. I'm going to turn things over to Brian for our devotion time, our meditation time. Um, with that in mind. Good evening, saints. We've been going through, in our meditation through the book of Hebrews. It's a blessing. Um, it's a blessing to be used by God because I get to be used um, by God. I get a lot of different ways to hear the sermons, usually on Sundays. Sometimes I get to give them, but I normally hear them. I get to teach Sunday school. I get to do a meditation. I get to teach Thursday night Bible study. And because of that, um, some of them, sometimes God will open my eyes when I'm doing something different that gives me insight when I'm, let's say I'm going through Sunday school, and it'll bless me in such a way that I'm like, man, I got to do this differently when I preach next time, or I got to do this differently when I do Thursday night Bible study, etc. It's just a blessing to experience God's word in teaching it. Um, 
is a blessing. Nobody grows more than the teacher when it comes to God's word. And so I've been blessed going through the book of Hebrews again. The main blessing came from when we went through it in Sunday school, maybe about a year ago, and God really blessed me with understanding it. Now we're going through it slower, and it's a blessing to go with this pace. You kind of get more depth into it. So we've been talking about this book, and one of the things that when we talk about a book of the Bible is we need to figure out what is it about. Well, Hebrews is about three things. It's about three ages. It's about the Son of God, and it is about having faith in him. The three ages are the age before Jesus, the current age, which we call the church age, and then the age to come when God will bring judgment on the world. The book is all about that. The book is all about Jesus, who he is. He's better than the angels we've learned so far. We're going to learn why he had to become a human being today. And then we learn that because of these things, these ages, this Jesus, we must have faith in him. We must. And so those three things are really all the book is about. Everything else flows into those three. And when you understand that, it just unlocks so much of the book for you. I guarantee you. Look through the parts of the book that may have confused you under those lenses. Just those three things, that's all you got to focus on, and you will see it. And what you want to do as you go through the Word of God is figure out a way to put those three things into a sentence and say, the book is about this. If you can do that, you got it. So when we read today, we'll start at verse 10 of chapter 2. It says, For it is fitting that he, from whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. But surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It is fitting that he, who we're referring to, referring about the Son of God, right? It is fitting that he, who made all things, in glorifying us and bringing us to salvation, should suffer. And this is not a popular message. Right? You're not going to hear Joel Osteen talk about the greatness of suffering. But the truth of the matter is that we all suffer. We all wake up. You know, I saw my little boy. He, I think he might have twisted his ankle a little bit, little Wesley. He got little pain. This life is pain, right? How do you come into the world? Through much pain. Mothers go through much pain. And then babies, when they get out, they start to realize that food is not just automatically there when they want it. And they feel cold and different things they never felt before because 
life, in some senses, is pain. And there is some suffering involved, right? We go through and we look at the saints in this room, and there are saints that used to be here who are not here anymore. Right? Some are just no longer alive. Other people just fell away. And so all of that brings pain because all of that separation is stuff that we just don't want to have, right? We just don't want to experience that. And that causes suffering. He says, it's fitting that Jesus be made our Savior through suffering. Why? Because all of us came from God. Those who are being saved and though the one who saved are the same source. Who is that? That is God. And so he's not ashamed to call us his children. He's not ashamed to call us his brothers. Because we all share in the same family. And what is that family? That family is those who are saved by God through the pain of this world. Through pain, right? We all must go through pain. Now, the sad thing is the world goes through pain, too, but they don't have the benefit of having a savior. They don't have the benefit of having a purpose. They just go through pain, and people say it's senseless violence, senseless pain, senseless suffering. Well, if you're not saved, it is senseless. But I remember when I was in the hospital a couple years ago, it was not senseless that I was in there, that I felt that pain. I felt closer to my Lord going through that pain. I'm sure my mom, I'm sure my Aunt Mickey, I'm sure many others who've been in hospitals before can appreciate the same feeling. It is times where I yearn for those days when I was in that hospital, not because I want to feel that pain, but because I was so close to the Lord, right? And that closeness was based on the dependency that I had on God because of the suffering that I faced. That's why Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than to be saved. Why? Because he doesn't feel a need. He don't feel a need. Now, God can do anything. But later in that passage, he says, with God, man, something is impossible. With God, it's not impossible. So he can still save a rich man, and we saw a rich man be saved. But it is hard when you can save yourself in most situations, to believe that you need somebody else to save you. It's hard. And we kind of don't understand the temptations that somebody who has everything has because we have limited temptations, right? It's hard for somebody to understand what an NFL player goes through with the temptations from women when ain't nobody looking your way. It's a big difference between that and, you know, Michael Jackson, when he was alive, people would throw their underwear on the stage. You just don't understand the level of temptation that man had. And that's why, even if we can envy his fame, maybe we should thank God that we're not him. Because would we be able to handle that temptation? I know I wouldn't be able to. At least not growing up in it. Now, if I was given it now, maybe I've been built up strong enough to deal with it. But we thank God that we've gone through suffering because what does suffering do? It makes us stronger if we go through it with a purpose. Otherwise, it destroys you. 
He says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he likewise partook in the same things. Why? So that he could destroy the power of death. Why? So that he can have compassion on those who also have flesh and blood. He didn't save angels. Did you know that if an angel sins, that's a demon. And there's no coming back for a demon. He didn't save demons. He didn't die for demons. He died for me and you. And it's an honor that he died for us. And in that sense, it's an honor that we live in this life of suffering. But when you go through your life and something doesn't go to right, you got to ask yourself, what can I go through when this pain? There's going to be a couple things. Either am I getting closer to my Lord through this pain, identifying with the greatest pain he could ever feel, separated from God, all the sins on his shoulder? Am I stressed? Do I understand more the stress that Jesus felt where he was bleeding from his sweat? When I'm alone, do I feel the loneliness that Jesus may have felt and realize that I don't have that same temptation he had because the Holy Spirit is always with me? When I'm going through that, is Jesus teaching me a lesson? Is he making me better? Is he causing me to have more patience? Is he causing me to sympathize with others? He's teaching me something. He's teaching you something. And that's why life will never be perfect till we get to the next age. And that's where that next age comes in, right? So what's the main point of this passage? Of the three, what's the main focus? It's the Son of God. It's the Son of God. We really don't see much of the three ages here. But it's implied that if you understand who the Son of God is, you ought to have faith in 